today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Whether you go to hell or whether you go to heaven isn't based on your works, is it? It's based on faith in Jesus Christ. And so the worst of sinners can be cleansed white as snow through the blood of Christ. Amen? Amen. I'm glad that you got that. Because there's a lot of people that don't get that. They just can't understand. How can that individual and your mind can go through a, a whole group of individuals or peoples that you think not them but the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin when they come by faith have you ever had an opportunity to share Jesus with someone and you shy away because you think they won't go for it maybe they're an intimidating person and it might be embarrassing if they say no pastor david reminds us to let god be the judge by choosing not to share We've judged that person. The Lord is the only one who knows a man's heart. He's the only one who can see if they'll accept him or not. We're to simply plant the seed. What happens next is out of our hands. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 5 with today's edition of The Open Word. coming from the right hand of the one who sat on the throne. He understood the importance of that document. And although at that point he had no idea of what it contained, I believe he simply understood because not only the origin, but also the fact that it was sealed with seven seals, that it was an important document that needed to be open, needed to be read, and needed to be understood. And when nobody responded to that angel's call, that angel's challenge, verse 4 tells us, so he, or so John, wept much. As a matter of fact, a better translation says that he began weeping continually, overwhelmed with weeping. That's how moved he was during this thing. John began to weep much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But then one of the 24 elders said to him, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. John burst into tears, continually weeping, overwhelmed as he could be. The importance of this document just overwhelming him that no one was going to be able to open it. And then one of the elders comes to him and says, no, don't weep. There is one who's able to open it. Though nobody in heaven, nobody on earth, nobody under the earth was found worthy to open it, there is one who is worthy, the one who has prevailed. And this one who has prevailed is given the title, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. And both of these descriptors are messianic descriptors. And they are describing without a doubt 
Jesus Christ himself. And it's interesting to note that this is the only place in Scripture that Jesus is given that title, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You think, really? I thought that was back in the Old Testament. No. Judah is spoken of as, you know, having the symbol of a lion. Certainly he's from the tribe of Judah, but Jesus does not have that except here in Revelation. There's this beautiful blessing in Genesis chapter 49 where Jacob is blessing or he's pronouncing to his children what their future is going to be. And if you want to look at it with me, it's in Genesis 49. We're going to begin in verse 8. But you can definitely, for Judah, for his future, for his family, for his tribe, for his lineage, you see this messianic theme that's kind of woven into it. So Genesis chapter 49, as kind of an introduction, we look back up at verse 1, where it says, And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Isn't that cool? Even all the way back there, in the last days, this declaration is being made. Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Jump down to verse 8 where he's speaking to Judah, in particular Judah. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. It's interesting. This is a prophetic declaration. Jesus coming through the tribe of Judah. I believe right there, Jesus is the one whom your brothers will praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion and as a lion who shall rouse him. Then in verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. This is the same promise that God gave David, King David, who was from the tribe of Judah, that the scepter will not leave. He shall always have somebody from his family enthroned, and Jesus from the lineage of David. He says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, his clothes in the blood of grapes, his eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. And again, this is just a Hebrewism type of a thing of, again, just the blessing of God being poured out and poured out upon him. So from the family line of Judah, Messiah was going to arise. Back in Revelation chapter 5, He's described by that elder as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And this, again, speaks of Messiah's strength, of his superiority. Judah was the most powerful of all the tribes, and Jesus is declared the lion of the tribe of Judah. One of these commentators says, a fellow by the name of Spence, he writes this, The root of David is a synonym for the stem or the branch. We find that both in Isaiah chapter 11, 1, the word comes through Isaiah saying, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, Jesse being David's father, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And then Paul refers back to that in Romans 15, verse 2, where he refers to Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse. Spence goes on to say further, Christ may be said to have been the root of David by virtue of his pre-existences and his creative power. So he is even the root. He's the beginning of David. 
but he's also a branch of David. So again, the pre-existence of Christ in the future or the birth of Christ in that lineage. So it's one of the paradoxes of the incarnation that he's both the root of David and he's also a branch of David. Well, back in Revelation 5, the elder tells John, don't weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And then in verse 6, he says, And John looked, and I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So right there in the midst of the throne, right out of the very presence of Almighty God. Some say, well, it was kind of a description of being there at the throne with the elders surrounding it and the four creatures that just right out of the midst of all of that he stands. But what is standing? Is there a lion standing there? Church? It's a lamb. Well, the lion of Judah is coming out displayed as a lamb. And the lamb is seen as one that's been slain. The lamb has prevailed. The lamb, through giving himself as a sacrifice, had prevailed. The word picture, really, of, of a lamb as though it's been slain, it's probably kind of difficult for us to look at, to visualize, to understand. But it's rather simple, really, to understand. It's just hard to visualize, hard to see it. The understanding of it is that Jesus Christ was the sacrificial lamb. He was given to pay for the sin of all of mankind. And he prevailed over sin and death and Hades. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, death was swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the death of the sacrifice of Christ, he prevailed over sin and death and Hades. And in the midst of that, he's got these seven horns. Again, this lamb is slain, but he's got like seven horns and seven eyes. So again, the word picture is difficult to visualize, but again, the understanding is, is the seven horns demonstrate the strength, the, the might, and the power. And anytime you see, particularly in the Old Testament and the, the Psalms, you know, my horn is strengthened. It speaks of the strength and the might and the power. He's got seven horns. And again, what does the number seven mean? It means complete. It means perfect. It means total. The strength is total. It's complete. It's all-encompassing. The seven eyes, it explains it right here. These are the seven spirits of God, and we've talked about that since the very beginning. This speaks again of the work of the Holy Spirit, the complete work of the Holy Spirit. So here you have the appearance, the lamb, slain, sacrificed, but yet prevailed over sin and death and Hades. And since the lamb, who is the lion, has prevailed, then he's able to come and take the scroll. The lion of Judah, who is the lamb of God, comes and takes the scroll. Verse 7, then he came, the lamb, he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. No one else is worthy, no one else is able to, but the Lamb comes. Once he takes the scroll, this other great time of worship is initiated there in the heavenlies. Look at what it says there in verse 8. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures 
and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That's what I mean for John. The sensory overload just has to be totally intense. And verse 9 says, and they sang a new song. So if you don't like singing new songs, you only want the old ones, well, you're going to be really disappointed once you get to heaven because they're singing a lot of new songs, okay? So you might as well get into the mood. Okay, so they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Let me stop right there. The end of verse 9. Who is excluded from redemption? Is there any people group that's excluded from redemption? No nation, no tongue. That means redemption is made available to all. Gosh, does that mean like, you know, for the Middle Eastern terrorists that are blowing things up and killing and doing all this stuff? Yeah, because, you know, the same hell that they will go to if they refuse Christ would be the same hell that Aunt Sally, if she never accepts Christ, will end up into. For us, that's hard to consider. Now, granted, I believe that there are greater areas of suffering and torment in hell, but... Whether you go to hell or whether you go to heaven isn't based on your works, is it? It's based on faith in Jesus Christ. And so the worst of sinners can be cleansed white as snow through the blood of Christ. Amen? Amen. 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 I'm glad that you got that because there's a lot of people that don't get that. They just can't understand. How can that individual and your mind can go through a a whole group of individuals or peoples that you think not them but the blood of jesus christ cleanses from all sin when they come by faith to receive christ to accept that reality in their life now if they stand against it then the blood becomes ineffective in their life is it capable to forgive their sin absolutely but does it wash their sin no Because they have rejected it, therefore it is non-effective. All of a sudden, this scene in heaven really starts getting intense. Added to the voice of the elders is the four living creatures. And they're singing this song in verse 10. You've made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And again, just the intensity of all of that going and growing. Now, when you get to verse 11, comes the voice of the angels. Lots and lots of angels. Listen to what it says. Then I looked and I heard the voice of how many? Many angels around the throne. The living creatures and the elders And the number of them, the number of the angels, was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. For John to say that there were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands You know what that is? That's a Hebrewism for saying, that's a bunch of angels, okay? (laughs) They were beyond counting. And I believe that that visual impact 
that John just again had to be totally blown away again. This this guy is just you know from one scene to the next scene to the next scene, just I believe overwhelmed with all that's going on. But it didn't stop there. You realize it didn't stop there with this innumerable host of angels that's praising and glorifying and worshiping the Lord. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And they're praising and worshiping the Lord. Then you get into verse 13 and it says, And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, John says, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Did you really hear that? And do you see that? From the smallest of the single-celled creatures to the greatest of all that God created. They're worshiping the lamb that was slain. I've never heard an amoeba praise the Lord. But John did from the least of these. They say that, you know, you can hear the orca wells and, and the dolphins, you know, sing and they make all this noise. I don't believe that's anything compared to what John heard that day and what we, I believe, will hear on that day. Because I believe for John, again, as we shared, I believe in chapter 4 when he tells John, hey, come on up here, and boom, I was in heaven. That is just a type of us, of the church, being raptured into heaven because we don't read any more about them on the earth. But all of creation praising, how and when is that all played out? Because the scroll hasn't been opened yet. The seals haven't been broken. The trumpets haven't sounded. The bowls haven't been poured out. Satan's not bound yet. So how can every living creature in heaven and earth be praising the Lord? You need to realize that in heaven, there are no Timexes. There's no Rolexes. There's no clocks at all. It's a done deal, I believe, at that point in time. And again, that's hard for us to comprehend because we are time driven we're focused on again our, gee are we on daylight savings time or pacific dating time you know in arizona the world revolves around us we never change okay we we stay the same but in heaven there is no time frame so when we can look at this and we can see all of this worshiping i believe that it is just a culmination of what will be happening there now in john's time frame we're going to process through this book of Revelation because John is seeing these things in order to be able to write them all down. How long is John in the Spirit on the Lord's Day? Anybody ever have a dream that seems like it went like forever and then you wake up and it's like only like three minutes or five minutes and it's just gone real quick? I believe in the same kind of a format. I believe that John could have been in the Spirit for a half an hour or an hour, maybe two hours, and the Lord could have revealed to him this entire thing. Say, wow, that's a lot to be revealed. My God's big. He's able to do that. And I believe that he's able to just, again, show these things. So suddenly it's there, and John says, wow, it's going to take me longer to write these things down than it did to see them. We look at these things, and it's just absolutely overwhelming. All of creation praising and worshiping the Lamb. And you need to realize that 
when we read that, when we look at that, that ought to give us a deeper understanding, a deeper grasp of what Paul is trying to say in the book of Romans. Turn to Romans chapter 8, if you would. Verse 18. Paul writes to the church. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I consider that the sufferings of this present time. What are some of the sufferings of this present time? Hunger, sickness, persecution, hatred, worry, death, war, doubt, fear. We could sit here all night and I could start with Jim over here and go all the way through that section Come over here, go through all through this section, go all through this section, come over here, go all through this section, and end up with Dan and say, what kind of problems have you had in this present world from the time of your earliest remembrances until this afternoon coming into church? You know, and and we could say, whoa, if you're going to start with me, you're not going to get done in time, right, Jim? But if we went through every one of us, Paul is saying all of that combined together, can't even be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. And I think of what John has seen just in this portion, in this chapter 4, chapter 5 of Revelation, just in that portion. I believe that he could have gone home right then, I mean, gone back to the Isle of Patmos and say, this ain't nothing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm stranded on this Isle of Patmos. They might even beat me. That's nothing. They don't feed me for a few days. That ain't nothing because I've seen glory. And I know how great and how awesome that is. And I'm ready to go anytime. And this world has absolutely nothing that's holding me back. Nothing. The problem is, is most all of us have not seen glory yet. And so we've still got a few things that are holding us back. And I think, well, yeah, that, that'd be nice. Not yet. Well, okay, maybe most of you said, okay, anytime. But I've shared with you my son, you know, when he was about 16, and we were talking about the rapture of the church and the Lord coming soon. And he said, well, I hope he doesn't come yet. And I said, why? He says, well, I'd like to get married first. You know, and now that he's married and he's got two little kids, I think he says, anytime now, anytime. (laughs) So those of you with little children might understand that. So there is nothing here either in our problems or our pains or our suffering that can be compared to the glory. There's nothing here as great as the splendor of an Arizona sunset, the beauties of fall in the northeast. You could go to any area that's absolutely overwhelmingly beautiful, and there's nothing here that can be compared. I believe that God brought those things to this earth to give us just a little taste. It's almost like a teaser. It's like a preview. It says, but this is not the whole thing. John got to see that glory. And when Paul writes, he says, man, there is nothing here that can be compared to the glory which shall be revealed to us. I mean, really, family, no matter how bad you have it right now, and I know that some of you have some major struggles going on in your life, The glory that awaits you is so overwhelming. That present thing that you're going through right now, it can't even be compared to what awaits us.
Thanks for spending your time with us today on The Open Word. If you were encouraged by this time together learning more about Jesus and want to hear more, we'd invite you to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes where you can get notified of the latest message as soon as it's available or find archive messages you may have missed. You can even find these teachings online at theopenword.com. There you can learn all about The Open Word and the ministry we're blessed to be a part of. In fact, Pastor David has a special message for you about how you too can be involved in sharing the good news through the open word. There really is something deeply refreshing about being a part of God's kingdom. Not only do I get to learn more about him every time I open the Bible, but he's given me the great privilege of sharing his love with you. This radio ministry and others like it, they're a wonderful and powerful way that God is reaching people across the nation and well, across the world with the gospel. We're blessed to be a part of it. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. Would you prayerfully consider being a part of our financial support here at The Open Word? If you feel led to give, visit theopenword.com and click on the support option. That'll bring you to our secure giving page. Your gift will help us to continue to grow and spread the word of God. Thank you for bringing this matter before the Lord. Thanks, Pastor David. As our time with you draws to a close, know that we continue to pray for you and for more and more people to come to know Jesus through this ministry. Join us next time to continue studying Revelation right here on The Open Word.